Well, um, we have an apology to give. This is episode nine, so you'd think we'd got the hang of this by now. But basically, we'd clicked some buttons this week that makes our podcast sound a bit weird. And you have our absolute sincere apology that it's like this. But just know it will take us an equivalent amount of time to undo it. Just know it will never happen again. I'm really sorry, Des, and I'm sorry to the listeners. It's it's our, our sincere apologies to listeners. It makes us sound uh, rather strange, but um, it's a temporary um, setback. And uh, it won't, as Dave already stated, it won't happen again. We hope you enjoy your listening. You still haven't oiled your door. Oh, I haven't oiled the door. (laughs) David, a question to ask you is that, um, are you familiar with the phrase pusillanimous pussyfooting? Wait, wait, let, sorry, you said cusilaminous. I said that right. No, pew, like in a, you know, like in a church. Pusillanimous. Pusillanimous pussyfooting. Pusillanimous pussyfooting. Yes. I have, wait, okay, pusillanimous. Silaminous. No, not silanimous. Pusillanimous. Pusillanimous. Lanimous. Pusillanimous. I'm trying to say it with authority and then I might be able to guess what it means, but I'm pusillanimous. Something to do with a church seat. Pew. No, no. It's just the the enunciation of the first word. It's a a cat stuck under a church seat. (laughs) Well, it's, um, you know, to the viewers that I think we need to tell them that this was the research of our uh, historian who's doing some work for us downstairs in the basement. Um, You know, all the research that we do, viewers, listeners rather, viewers... The, the, the historian has been responsible for making sure we don't get things wrong. And um, he, he he came up with this pusillanimous pussyfooting. So you've got the adjective there, and also the footers are the Repub- 197 Republicans. They're, they're after to be known as the pusillanimous pussyfooters, Republican pussyfooters. <laughs> So when everybody says that to me that they're Republican, I would think of them as a as a pusillanimous um, a pussyfooter, <laughs> lacking in courage and resolution. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, the historian has just come up and he's just given me another. He's just another tidbit. Another alliteration. He's described Marjorie Taylor Greene as a malevolent mistress of malarkey. A malevolent mistress of malarkey. I think this raises her to a grandeur and level she doesn't deserve. <laughs> I can think of many words beginning with M that she is. And he said, I don't think an- she could spell malarkey, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> and apparently he's um, malarkey, malarkey. <laughs> uh, he's got her um, peripathetic prognostication of the prognosticator. What's a prognosticator or the prognosis or whatever the, what would I, I didn't know what two of those words were. So that's something else he, 
he sent up for me. Yeah, but, but I don't know what it means. I d- I d- Is he sending you special code? I think he's spending me sending me some very special codes, and 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 also he sent sent us another one, which he's re- he's described as the miserable meanderings of the malevolent, malevolent, malevolent. He likes he likes this malevolent word. Yeah, he loves it. Or the furious fumblings of the fornicator. I'd love to get you drunk, Des, and try and get you to say all these. I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm reluctant to push the button this week. I don't know. <laughs> well, it seems like you've become a peripatetic procrastinator, <laughs> procrastinator of the procrastinations. I feel like you should push the button this week, Des. Um, I don't know. Yes, you go. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I've got this fictitious button that I'm about to push. To this week's Des and Dave. In America this week, two Republicans were fined $5,000 each for refusing to complete security screening. In an act of unity, Biden invited 10 Republicans to attend the COVID-19 meeting at the White House. The new Biden defense secretary sweeps out all 149 last minute Trump appointees. And Democrats finally now control all the committees in the Senate. They hold the gavel. In other news, 11.5 million doses of the vaccine here in the UK have been put into the arms of those who need it. And Captain Sir Tom Moore, the ray of hope and the shine of optimism, sadly passes away this week. And the EU's Ursula von der Leyen describes the UK as a Brexit speedboat and the EU as an oil tanker, the metaphors have all been mixed. All that and more on this week's Des and Dave. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me, yeah It's a new dawn, it's a new day It's a new life for me ooh, 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 ooh. 
It's been another busy week, has it not? A very busy week. And you know what, Des, part of me this week, I was like, I can't, I can't absorb any more of this stuff. There's, you can't keep up. There's so much detail. Have you been keeping up? I found it immensely difficult to keep up. But one of the things that I think that was quite moving this week was that two American police officers who were murdered, or rather the two American police officers who were murdered at um, Capitol Hill, you know, during the Hatefield mob riot, were buried in a special state ceremony, ceremony to recognize their bravery. And um, that, I thought, was uh, quite a touching um, event in the week, in the course of the week, um, which probably went a little bit unnoticed. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was also we heard more detail this week uh, about some of the stuff that's still been going on behind the scenes. But before we look backwards, it's we started with it's a new dawn, it's a new day, and Biden has been busy. We, as we've said in previous weeks, lots of executive orders, uh, but now it's really down to crunching some some laws and you know this this thing around giving Americans the stimulus check, basically putting money in their pockets so they can buy themselves some food and pay their rent. And again, it's always nice to hear from Biden because it's so different. I see enormous pain in this country. A lot of folks are losing hope. And I believe the American people are looking right now to their government for help, to do our job, to not let them down. So I'm going to act, and I'm going to act fast. I'd like to be, uh, I'd like to be doing it with the support of Republicans. I've met with Republicans. There's some really fine people who want to get something done, but they're just not willing to go as far as I think we have to go. And here's what I won't do. I'm not cutting the size of the checks. They're going to be $1,400, period. That's what the American people were promised. Very quickly, here's the rest of my plan. It has money for food and nutrition so that folks don't go hungry. I think our Republican friends are going to support that. It extends unemployment insurance, which is going to run out on March 13th of this year to the end of September of this year, because there's still going to be, we're still going to have high unemployment. It helps small businesses, thousands of whom have had to go out of business. It has money to help folks pay their health insurance. It has rental assistance to keep people in their homes rather than being thrown out in the street. It's got money to help us open our schools safely. There's money for childcare, for paid leave. It gets needed resources of state and local governments to prevent layoffs of essential personnel, firefighters, nurses, folks who are school teachers, sanitation workers. It raises the minimum wage. 
It's big and it's bold. And it's a real answer to the crisis we're in. One of the stories that I'm hearing is that a lot of the kind of Obama economists that were around him at the time are some of the same people that are around Biden. And do you remember when Obama came in, there was the financial crisis and they basically said, you know, these are the same people that put that massive rescue package into place back in 2008, um, kind of beginning 2009. And what they said was the danger is not doing it big enough. That's your issue. This is why it is the $1.9 trillion. And like Biden has said as well, he couldn't make it any lower than the $1,400 extra going to Americans. You know, it, it's so different. There's, it's so different in such a short space of time. And he tried and has tried to do it together and invited, as you said in the headlines, some Republicans over to the White House. But... They're going to pass it without him. They have passed it without the Republicans. They've done it under this budget resolution that you talked about last week. Yes. And do, do, you, do you remember when Trump introduced his tax breaks, he said, which was intended specifically for the middle classes, the tax breaks, I think, added an extra almost three trillion dollars of debt to the American economy. And all they're talking about on this occasion is only a maximum of two, this is 1.9, two trillion dollars to help America kickstart its economy. And the Republicans won't do it. They will not do it. I'm just so happy that Biden can do it without them, you know, and that they they can do what they need to do for the country. Imagine that those other two um, senator seats in Georgia had gone the other way. I mean, it just, yeah, at least they can pass this stuff with 51. And still, they can also change the filibuster with voting 51. And at some point, I reckon it's going to happen at some point this year. There's a reason they wouldn't say to Mitch McConnell, yeah, we'll commit to keeping it. They can just pass a 51 one simple majority rule saying we delete this filibuster but then the republicans can do that next time they're in power too they could do that anyway is my thinking regardless of what the democrats do now in the next senate session in two years time if it changes hands and the majority swings the other way mitch mcconnell or whoever could just simply reverse the rules and say we can pass stuff under simple majority the democrats do have their bogeyman in fact they have got two Two Democrats, one of them has already set conditions for his vote. And the, the three conditions, I believe, he set. One of them can't be, well, one of them has already been done, which is including, is, in, is attempting to go for a bipartisan agreement over the deal, the stimulus deal. But the other two is, one is to reduce the, the minimum pay rate from $15 an hour to $11. And the other, of course, is to means test the stimulus checks. And he's proving very hard to budge on that and is insisting that these amendments are included in the bill. But (laughs) we know in America, it's the donors that run things. It's not the politicians, it's the donors. And the donors have probably knocked on his door. Mr. Munchen, you will not do this. This is what you will do. And of course, his hands, I suppose, if he wants to retain his seat, are a little bit bound. But 
if he really truly wants to help the American people, then they've got to release this further $1,600. They've got to do it. They've got no choice. Biden said it himself. There are people really hurting. And it's just such a, you know, we, we everything will be different. You know, it, Biden is a, a dude of the people. Like we said last week, he likes to hang around on the rope lines and chat to real people. And I'm sure the real people he's able to Zoom with or chat with or however it's working at the moment are continuing to tell him. And he's continuing to be a president for all people, for all Americans. But talking of all Americans, and we usually refer to the president of the United States as the, the most powerful man in the world, yet to have woman, I'm sure one day, very soon. In terms of US foreign policy, there hasn't really been one, or they've been. it's been contra to everything very American ever before it. And I think when Biden first came in, people were thinking this is just going to revert back to centralist kind of... Um, uh, conventional ideas. Well, Biden's already got other ideas about his foreign policy. So is the message I want the world to hear today. America is back. America is back. Diplomacy is back at the center of our foreign policy. As I said in my inaugural address, we will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again, not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's. From the pandemic to the climate crisis to nuclear proliferation, challenging the will only to be solved by nations working together and in common. We can't do it alone. Though uh, many of these values have come under intense pressure in recent years, even uh, pushed to the brink in the last few weeks. Over the past few days, we've been in close cooperation with our allies and partners to bring together the international community to address the military coup in Burma. There can be no doubt in a democracy, force should never seek to overrule the will of the people or attempt to erase the outcome of a credible election working to ensure that humanitarian aid is reaching the Yemeni people who are suffering un and undurable, unendurable devastation. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. So a completely different tone. And I'm really pleased to hear that Yemen is now a factor in his mind, you know, or it probably was before, but at least now they're acting and not going to give Saudi Arabia arms there. But it, it's more confusing, eh? this geopolitical interwoven situation that America has kind of run, run away from in the last couple of years. You know, no sense or no policy has been coming out of America. And now it looks like they're trying to put some kind of knit some kind of web back together. And I also heard this week that the diplomats have been saying to, you know, the diplomats here in the UK, you need to start dealing with Russian money. You, you cannot be the money laundering capital for the Russians. So uh, let's see what we do as the UK if we want our special relationship with the US to continue. The, the, the thing that he said in his speech, which had probably the most profound impact on me was that he said America was back. That's quite a bold statement to make because one of the legacies that he's going to have to deal with 
and it's not fantasy land, is that Trump's administration quite dramatically emboldened the likes of Putin, Erdogan, all the dictators across the globe, and particularly have given China a, um, a much, well, as far as Chinese, the Chinese, um, the Chinese leader would say, a much needed boost to actually believe in their um, in their their ability to take the Americans head on, and I think this is going to be his big challenge. How he achieves this will be very difficult, um, because what is he going to do? Is he going to push for confrontation? Diplomatic, yes. I mean, beyond but, that. But things don't have to be confrontation, do they? I think ultimately it's money. Um, and even the, you know, in... That's true, yeah. Uh, Biden mentioned what, what's happened over in Russia with the the guy that's been thrown in prison there and, what, you know, the what, his main opposition guy. And what, the, what they're saying, the people around him, is they've given a list of prominent Russians to just cut, not allow them in the country, seize their assets and so on. You know, money talks, there's money talks. So I think, you know, this is where you hit people in the end. If they can't order their super yacht, they're not going to be very happy. And I think part of the thing that we've not missed, but it just happens. And especially now if I'm working from home, but you know, there are absolutely thousands of new employees in the government that are heads of department, that are senior managers that, and all those kind of uh, sub cabinet positions, they're really progressive people. They are people that know what they are doing and were doing stuff towards the end of like Obama's time. And there's two particular individuals that are going to be joining the Department of Justice that were doing all sorts of stuff around um, police training and dealing with uh, racism within police forces across America. Because remember in the States, it's they're like little independent countries in and of themselves. And, and you know, basically, you know, when they left the White House before Trump arrived, they knew that Trump and his guys were going to get rid of all their stuff. So they've just brought it all back like that. But it takes time to, you know, weave all these things in. But the important thing is it's happening. The, the, that accelerator is still being slammed. The difficulty is money plays such a central role in American politics itself, because most Americans know that... It's the donors that determine the agenda in America, and even more so in the Republican Party. Asking other countries to, to reduce the amount of money flowing in, illegal, though we, we all know it, it is, it's a very difficult thing to do because it's, countries need money. To, to improve the state of well-being for their own for their own citizens. So I, I don't know how that's going to work. I hope it does, but I just don't know. Speaking of money and 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 just things have been interweaving in my head this week. I've been reflecting, you know, much on systemic racism around the world, and very much so in the sense of what's been happening with the vaccine, because very few developing countries have had any sight of any vaccine and won't do for some time because the rich countries have bought it and not just bought it for their populations, but their populations several times over. You know, Canada this week bought five times the amount of just one of the vaccines for, for their population. Five times. Everybody can be injected five times. I mean, I know there's wastage, but dear Lord, do they think they're, you know, not able to count? I just, there is so much inequality 
and and people cannot help where they are born, especially in somewhere like Yemen, who uh, for years, for absolute years, this is on the face of planet Earth. And where is the the anger and the outrage for that? It exists, but it doesn't always make it to the prominency of the headlines. Um, but you made a relevant point last week when you said that people are operating on a nationalistic uh, on a nationalistic basis. They are just considering the the vaccine needs in their own country. But we don't have that kind of world. The world is global. People move around. The, you know, the, the virus doesn't say, oh, I'm not going to cross the Atlantic to go to America from Britain. It, it, that's not the way it works. In, and in, in reality also, the vaccine, the vaccine, the virus moves with people, people's you know, visits and migration and all the rest of it. That's how the, the virus moves from region to region across the globe. And it's a global, the virus is a global problem. And one of the things I welcome from Biden is that he is immediately attempted to recognize it. Any solution has to be global. And it appears to be he's reuniting with all the global institutions of the world as an as a talking shop, as a means to debate how we can stem the flow of in, inequality. Um, and, and I welcome that because you just mentioned Yemen. Yemen's considered to be one of the poorest countries in the world. If we can't get it right in, if we can't get it right in Europe, how the hell are we going to get it right in Yemen? They need the vaccine, as, as indeed do others. You know, you can't hoard it. In the Republican Party, this kind of Trump base that has white supremacist, racist, you know, the, the real hardcore in there. Um, uh, there's still it's still not being dealt with. You know, you still have this Marjorie Taylor Greene who this week <laughs> they the Democrats had to do it for them. The Democrats had to show leadership and remove her from the committees. They gave the Republicans the choice. They chose not to. However, what the Republicans did do was for Liz Cheney, who had voted for impeachment of Trump and basically said what Trump did was wrong. Uh, and I'm really paraphrasing there. They had a secret ballot on whether or not she should remain in the leadership of the Republicans. And she won by 144 odd to 60. So at least we know that there's 60 hardcore nutters, but it was a secret ballot. It was a bit different. But th th this other woman, you know, with her Jewish space lasers and her blatant racism, you know, Obama was a Muslim. He studied the Quran. Even if he did, so what? Don't all these American politicians say, God save America, God bless America. Well, does it matter which God? Like, But it, it, again, it's all lies. And her rebuke, sadly, is only from the Democrats holding sense. You know, it's it's just horrific. And some of them this week were talking in the House chamber. There was Congressman Phillips, who really was examining his own preconceived ideas. I felt that the insurrectionists who were trying to break down the doors right here would spare us if they simply mistook us for Republicans. But within moments, I recognized that blending in was not an option available to my colleagues of color. So I'm here tonight to say to my brothers and sisters in Congress 
and all around our country. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For I had never understood, really understood, what privilege really means. How interesting what privilege really means, huh? I, I very much agree with you about the Marjorie Taylor Green and what's at the center of her world are lies, half-truths, lies, more half-truths. She turns on a coin. I think I could probably best express her her comments as the, to quote our historian, the miserable meanderings of the malevolent, because her words aren't designed to heal. They're designed to create even greater division and more hate. And you've got to recognize, and it's words, admittedly, but you've got to recognize the, the comments made the politician there when he said, you know, perhaps I hadn't really realized what they were going through. Because there are going to be a lot of, lot of um, Democrat um, politicians who are going to be badly, who have been badly scarred by the events of the Capitol Hill. And in fact, probably some Republican politicians have probably managed to carry away a notion with them that, oh, they're not going to hurt me. They wanted to hang Pence. <laughs> yeah, and they're still not dealing with the white supremacists. And this is Congresswoman Cori Bush. We can't build a better society if members are too scared to stand up and act to reject the white supremacist attack that happened right before our eyes. How can we trust that you will address the suffering that white supremacy causes on a day-to-day basis in the shadows if you can't even address the white supremacy that happens right in front of you in your house? Does your silence speak to your agreement? Is the question. In September of last year, the director of um, the FBI, Christopher Ray, said in openly and privately in a meeting with Donald Trump that the biggest problem with in America today comes from domestic terrorism. And it's not from the Black Lives Matter. It's not from the Muslim. It's white supremacists. Trump was warned and his government and the Republican Party in September last year that this kind of event was just around the corner. He refused to deal with it. He, he refused to deal with it very simply because the Republicans and Trump need white supremacists to maintain power. And right now, as I understand right now, they are looking, the Republican Party that is, they're looking at more devious ways of suppressing people of the votes of people of color in America. The problem hasn't gone away, it's still there. And they're working on it. And what the, the Republicans have successfully done during the Trump administration was that quite a few of the governors across the, um, the states in America are, are probably Democrats, um, um, uh, Republicans. And they, they, they are place, putting some really clever spins on illegibility for votes. 
in fact, in, in Georgia, just before the last election, I understood that unless you owned a car, you couldn't vote. But following on from hearing for some people that are speaking sense, at least, and, uh, you know, explaining what they've seen. This is Ilhan Omar, who's also a Democratic congresswoman. This is about whether it is okay to hold an assault rifle next to members' heads in a campaign ad and incite death threats against them. This is about whether it is okay to encourage the murder of the Speaker of the House. As a survivor of civil conflict and civil war, I know political violence and political rhetoric does not go away on its own. This is about whether or not we will continue to be a peaceful and functioning democracy. The authorities, the FBI have already managed to get hold of 260 odd or oppressing charges against those. This this has been the biggest manhunt since 9-11. The FBI, all the field offices are involved. It's churning through. And I think the strangest thing that that I came across this week was that most of the people that were at the riot and the insurrectionists most of them didn't vote, Desmond. Most of them did not vote in the election. Go figure. Go figure. I think the bit that really um, maddens me, not, not in a sense, but this is kind of, you swear an oath, right? You know, to protect the constitution and defend it and so on and so on. So if something is really trying to shake that constitution, you are just ignoring it. Like, this is what you were sent there to do as senators, as Congress uh, men and women, as the president, as the president's aides, as the cabinet secretaries. You all take this pledge. And if you are sent there to defend this pledge and you are not going to defend it now in the face of its biggest threat, what do you stand for? Milk tokens. I mean, this is a Republican Michael Steele. And, and here's what he said about his own party, whether he sees himself a Republican anymore, I don't know. But he was a Republican, guys. He was a Republican. Lawrence, you know what, what the Republicans don't want you to know and talk about is what actually happened in the halls of that chamber. It wasn't just the knocking down of doors by those those insurrectionists who stormed the hill. It's what they did when they got inside. They defecated on the floors. They urinated on the walls. They disrespected their house, our house. And if you can't stand up for that, why are you even there? What will you stand up for? That's what America's asking tonight. This is not partisan. This is about not, oh, I gotta stand with the Republicans or I gotta protect. No, this is about our country, our government and the leaders that we charge to protect, serve, defend the Constitution. They defecated it outside the chamber doors. That doesn't matter to you? It's amazing. It is amazing. I, I, and you know what, Des? I know what they stand for, tax cuts. And more. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is the absurdity in the Republican Party right now. You, you, they don't know what to do. They don't know whether to, you know, burble left or burble right or jump up and down. They, they are the headless beast. And it's nobody's party at the moment, I think, in, in reality. And you've got this strange, strange situation where Trump's lawyers have left him. He's now got two new ones who couldn't even spell United States Senate. Twice in the same document, twice, 
<laughs> and just before we go to Trump and impeachment, before we finish on America this week, there was also another. So, do you remember Rudy Giuliani Des is being sued for 1.3 billion together with Sidney Powell because they espoused all these lies around Dominion's voting systems? Well, there's also another voting company called Smartmatic. And this week, quite separately, they have put out a $2.7 billion lawsuit against um, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and most interestingly, Fox News and the other ones, OANN and the other crazy right-wing news stations. And as a consequence of this lawsuit, they've already taken off air the Lou Dobbs show which was one of their most popular shows because he kept espousing these conspiracy theories. And just as I told you there's a moment ago, and I'm sure you already knew, but for our listeners, Trump's lawyers couldn't spell United States Senate. Okay. But systematic could do more than spell Desmond. Is this lawsuit? Well, let me read you one paragraph from this complaint. The earth is round. Two plus two equals four. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 election for president and vice president of the United States. The election was not stolen, rigged, or fixed. These are facts. They are demonstrable and irrefutable. Them are fighting words right there. Dave, I've got to share this with you. I've just, it just came to me that uh, a quote, and this is a from Marjorie Taylor Greene. She said, when interviewed, I was allowed to believe things that were not true. That is her defense. I was allowed to believe things that were not true. Her own words. Yes, and she went on to say, I, um, I know 9-11 happened, as if it was revelatory. But it didn't happen before. It's now happened. Then it didn't happen. <laughs> Just lies. More lies. And, more, and I, I don't know also if you've heard the latest, is that um, Q, QAnon has released a three-hour film produced by the man called Pillow Man. <laughs> my, the, my, the My Pillow Guy. The My Pillow Guy. Um, and they introduce a disclaimer ahead of the film saying that the contents of the films are a, they disassociate themselves from them, from the contents of the, the film, because they're not based in facts. They are, in, 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 in essence, opinions. What, QAnon are saying that? No, OAN. OAN are saying that, yeah, yeah. Because they also, did you not see the newscaster walk off mid-broadcast? So they had the My Pillow guy on, and he basically started saying all this election fraud rubbish again. And the guy kept talking over him and like reading legal statements and trying to get him to shut up. And then he looks and he says, I'm looking to the producers. Can we just like cut, like cut rid of him? And they didn't. And so he gets up and walks away. It's hilarious. It's like, I don't want to be named in the lawsuit. Look, like play the tape. You can see I walked away. Because you said it the other week, Des, that this is how they kind of dealt with the KKK. They sued them out of existence. Yes. So if you can sue these people, and, you know, earlier on, like we were saying about diplomacy and stuff, money talks. Money talks. If you can get these people's money, you is already winning. And um, 
Just to finish before we really round up with impeachment in America this week, our good friend at MSNBC, we say our good friend because Desmond listens to her more than she listens to herself. Uh, <laughs> I, I also listen to her, but not as much as Desmond does. So this is Rachel Maddow. And uh, it's fair to say she really held Trump to account and was very fair and checked. And then she lost, not lost her marbles, but she just couldn't, it, 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 the level of, yeah, the level of, you know, stupidity, she had to let it out. And, and you know, she, she, she let out her personality, which was nice because it. In the impeachment response from his lawyers, uh, the lawyers claim that it was not necessarily a false statement. When on January uh, on January 6th, Trump told the mob that would attack the Capitol that day that he had won the election in a landslide. They are contending in their written defense to the impeachment that that is a false statement. They describe the election results as contested and say it's not necessarily false that he won in a landslide. When he said that, maybe that was true. I think we are underestimating the potential for crazy here. I mean, the Republicans right now are heading into the impeachment trial, which starts at the beginning of next week. And they think that they are mounting a defense against the conviction of Donald Trump on the technical grounds that the Senate shouldn't even be holding an impeachment trial for him because he's not president anymore, because he's a former president. I am here to tell you, dude does not agree that he is a former president. And he is not allowing anyone to describe him that way. If that's the trap door they're going to use to try to get him out of a Senate impeachment conviction, he's going to fight it. He insists he cannot be called a former president. He must be called the 45th president. He's still using the presidential seal. There's no sign that he concedes that there's now a 46th president. And so he's an ex. I mean, how many ticks are we away from him claiming that he is still in office, that he still has the powers of the president presidency, that he's rightfully still president? I mean, I, w I would love to hear him cross-examined on this subject in a Senate trial, say, perhaps by lead impeachment manager and distinguished constitutional law professor Jamie Raskin. I would pay good money to see that. But Mr. Trump's lawyers today said no. They said no, the 45th president will not testify in Washington next week. Heads up that there's no reason they couldn't subpoena Trump to testify. I mean, on his behalf, his lawyers are denying factual claims in the charge against him. Somebody should have to back up those disputations of fact under oath. We shall see. Honestly, I think if you asked Mr. Trump directly, he would love to testify. Nobody listens to him anymore. He has no outlet. He doesn't have a social media platform. He doesn't have anybody meeting with him. He doesn't have anybody taking his calls, as far as we can tell. I mean, he insists that he hasn't really left office and he's not a former president and nobody's listening to him. And the Democratic House impeachment managers are now demanding that he come to Washington and explain the events of January 6th. Don't you think he's desperate to do that? Oh, please let the man speak under oath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please let the man speak. I think that's wonderful, Rachel. Absolutely wonderful. The wonderful, wonderful, truly wonderful thing about Trump is that if nothing else, he's consistent. During his campaign, he began his political life as a liar. In government, he was a liar. I mean, isn't there some astonishing figures about 4,000, 100,000? No, 30,000, over, over 30,000 lies. I mean, who's counting? Whatever, but who's that was counting? somebody's job. 
But it, it, you just think to yourself, she said it already. We're going to underestimate the amount of crazy. It starts in two days' time from the time of us recording this podcast. Absolutely. I think it's going to be very interesting when it's laid before you. And then these Republicans have already said they are going to vote against. They're not being very fair jurists, it seems. But there's there's another bit of news I discovered this week that because he has no outlet, he has no Twitter and, you know, all the rest of it, and nobody will listen. <laughs> He's apparently resorted to writing out insult notes and trying to get his aides around him to tweet them. <laughs> Like that's that's the level he's reached. It just it's going to be an interesting seven days until we come back here next time. We're, we're, there, there is there is one thing I'd say though on, on on all of this is that Mitch McConnell knows the truth. He's already said it. That Trump is guilty. He's he's he has said it as almost blatantly as that. But what he's also, he's qualified his comments by saying that this is not a criminal issue. This is a political issue. And that reveals all of McConnell's motivation. In other words, the way his jurors will see their decision will be a political one. And the political decision that needs to be made for the Republicans is to survive. Well, let's see if they'll grow a spine. Uh, I don't imagine they'll get a chance to vote this week. It will be a little bit longer. But uh, let's see if they choose to grow a spine and find a backbone between now and then. Moving across the pond to... <laughs> yes, moving across the pond to here in the UK, where we have such a competent government and there's great stuff going on. However, the vaccine has been rolled out quite spectacularly. I wouldn't necessarily put that down to crediting the politicians. I would put that down to people in the NHS and all the health services making this happen. The success of the the, the vaccine, it, it, it appears that the British people are slowly coming on board with um, the uh, vaccine immunization plan. Um, although we hear that there are an awful lot of vaccines that are being wasted at the moment, because a lot of people actually don't believe that they um, believe in them, believe in the vaccine. And um, it's requiring a lot of people coming out, particularly from the BAME community, coming out and, and, and you know, demonstrating that, you know, they're happy to to have the vaccine. That appears to be the biggest issue, actually. And the question, of course, being asked of government is, what are you doing to encourage these people to come on board with the vaccine? Because even medical people are saying, people from, you know, the, the, the color, the colored community, the um, people of color community are saying that um, they, 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 they want to see the results of the vaccine after, you know, half a dozen months before they're convinced that you know, they'll freely take it. So that appears to be one of the issues that's operating in Britain today. Um, that's a part of the conflict with, with the EU um, over the Irish problem. You know, is, there, is the border still in the sea or is it? <laughs> well, yeah, there was there was the border stuff this week um, because you, I don't know if you saw the border guards had to be stood down at some of the ports That's because right. they were receiving threats. And I, I mean, this is just everything we tried to avoid. And now the government 
because they decided they want Brexit at any cost of, of the price. The price of Brexit is starting to bite and already businesses have lost thousands, have, you know, loads of fishermen caught fish and seafood and whatever and can't sell it at ports. It's been banned and so on. And again, I don't think the government can lay its hopes only on the vaccine. There is more to this than that. And also, if we vaccinate ourselves, unless we close all our ports and our airports and all the rest of it, it still keeps coming in from places. You know, the test three days before doesn't stop you getting it five minutes before you get on that plane. But there is also the other issue with for Britain as well is that, you know, it looks things things look as if they're likely to work out rather well with the new the new um, American administration. But Biden's made it very very clear that he wants Britain to rejoin the EU. He'd rather have Britain in the tent, looking out, than outside the tent looking in. Um, and he's made, the, he's made his position very, very, very clear. But some good news in, as far as, the, um, as, far as uh, uh, Brexit is concerned. Ursula's um, comment that... Um, no, you can't just say Ursula. You have to... Ursula von der Leyen! Von der Leyen! <laughs> it's a serious sounding name, man. Ursula von der Leyen, um, her comments has been um, has been has been rather generous to the British um, government in as much as re um, regarding them as you know as as as, um, as a re response reacting super quick to the um, purchase of uh, what did she call them a speedboat um, and referred to her own her own. Um, European Union as an as an oil tanker, in terms uh, and and also praising Britain for the speed in which it dealt with the whole issue of purchasing the virus, for, the vaccine for its people, um, and was rather critical of her own people. So that was rather that was pretty that that was pretty generous. But the 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 news also for Britain as well as far as the um, the economy is concerned is that the expectation from the Bank of England is that Britain um, post May this year the economy is going to going to move forward very well um, so says the forecast but I think that the, the other bit of the news I heard this week was that they are being asked to prepare for negative interest rates like, I mean, that's unheard of, right? You, you take it to zero, but you don't go to minus. So at the moment, they're being asked to change and check their IT systems, that if they put a minus number in, everything will still work. I mean, it doesn't mean that they'll all of a sudden start giving you your mortgage payments back, but um, it's very interesting because they've never done this before. It's like one lever they've never thought of. So I, the world is in flux, eh? There's, the world is in flux. There's a lot well, of madness. I tell you what's really been very interesting, Dave. You could take a loan out and expect to pay, I don't know, it's the interest on loans is still relatively low. But you could expect over a, I don't know, two year, two, three year period, you can expect to pay, say, on a loan of 20, 20, 20 or thousand pounds. You'd be expected to pay something in the region of I don't know six hundred pounds in total, maybe a little less. It depends which institutions you go to. Um, yeah, but, but a negative interest rate would imply if you took out a ten grand loan, you'd only pay back nine thousand or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a minus interest rate. That's 
But, but here's the sting in the tail, Dave. If you were to purchase, okay, if you were to put sink £20,000 into a, a, a savings bond yes. of any kind, I, I wonder how much you would actually earn in... <laughs> No, you'd lose money. That's the point. You'd lose money. So that grant that, that you get from someone's like that's that's why it's like, huh? How can you make it the minus? I, I'm sure it will pop up in in the months coming, and we can examine it then. But why would yeah, it be minus to interest me. rates? <laughs> it's, uh, mind you, we did have something similar not so long ago, didn't we? After the last collapse, we had minus in, minus rates on property. No, it wasn't. Oh, oh yeah. On the, well, they weren't not necessarily, not necessarily the rates, but you know the not the rate, but the the, the value. Yeah, yeah, and that's the next bubble to maybe burst as well. Anyway, we're not economists, but we could be because it looks like you just say what you feel and make forecasts and Excel spreadsheets, and it all happens. Oh, Des, what? Of you, what are you looking rather than what are you predicting this week? Mm -hmm. What are you looking forward to this week? Oh, that's a very good question. What am I looking forward to? Um, I think the unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I think you we can ever always... watch the program Tales of the Unexpected. That's what I'm looking for the unexpected. Uh, it's... I, I, what are, I what about you? I don't know if I'm looking for the unexpected. I think I'm I'm hopeful, a bit like an episode of Sesame Street where everything's laid out really clearly, that Ian, uh, I keep saying Ian, Jamie Raskin, who's one of the impeachment managers, so this basically means he's, he's the lawyer in the room who's going to make the case against Trump and for impeachment. And he's a constitutional lawyer, <laughs> he's a constitutional law professor and already uh, you, people might have heard him because he read out the initial um uh, you know the initial uh, document uh, for impeachment and it's worded in very simple english you know with the odd bit of legalese every now and again so i just hope that the delivery i think it will be a television moment I think because they're going to put all the evidence, you know, in the trial, it's they will replay certain video clips. They will highlight, they will draw lines and parallels between and timelines. And they'll say, what was Trump doing at this point in time? What was Trump doing then? What was he doing in this three hour window? So I just wonder in the face of all that, whether you start getting Republicans go um, um, or run away from news crews, you know, because they dare not answer any question. Like, how can you support this guy who did this? You know, the detail and the the tapestry is about to be woven. And I'm just looking forward to how well woven it will be. I think that's an issue for history, for the history books. Um, I don't think you... If we were able, if they were able to get Trump on the stand, we'd have wonderful theatre. You would have really enjoyed it. It still we, may fact, happen. It still may happen. He's not going to do it. His lawyers will not permit him to go. But they, he may fire his lawyers, as we've seen. He says he fired them. They say they walked away. I mean, one of them's true. Yeah, he but may he, fire his lawyers, especially since they can't spell. I don't actually believe that Trump believes in his... What does he call his geniosity? I don't believe he believes that. And I honestly think that he knows... If he goes up on that stand, these lawyers will destroy him. He knows that. 
and he will never do that. Words, pure words. It's, Des, it's, he has the best words. He has the best <laughs> words. Don't you remember the stable genius? Anyway, so we're both looking forward to the unexpected yeah. this week. The unexpected. That's for sure. Yeah. So Des, you've selected this week's song to play us out. Do you want to set it yes. up? Yes. Well, in the light of, um, we've, we've fittingly ended, in the light of impeachment, um, I think what's at the core of the um, the story there is lies, more lies, a lack of truth. If we had that, if we had truth, if truth played a major part in the impeachment, then we'll get the deal we all wanted, which is a successful impeachment. Uh, this is Lucky Dubey with You Stand Alone. Catch you next week, guys. And you, Dave. Have a lovely time.